Welcome to Stallside Podcast. Okay, welcome to Stallside. And today we have the privilege of Canada's finest exports since Anne Murray, Celine Dion, and Justin Bieber. Newsflash, they don't want the last one of those back. Dr. Kate Christie, welcome. Thank you. That's very high well, praise. I don't know if you can put me in the same category well, well, as Celine. First question, are you a believer? Uh, no. He, okay. he got exported pretty quickly yeah, once he hit fame. Yeah, I think Canada did the right Though thing there. Though his Christmas album is quite good. I've been listening to that a lot recently. Kate, your shares just went down. <laughs> you are now the Enron of our podcast. Oh. Anyway, so um, just because, you know, I hold a great affection for Canadians being fellow Commonwealth, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. About myself. First of all, I don't know that I really say a boot unless I don't notice that. Have you been Americanized? Um, potentially. So I'm a little bit split here. Um, grew up in Nova Scotia, which is, of course, where all of those good accents of a boot and out and sorry come from. Um, but ended up going to Ontario for undergrad, which is Pretty much, I guess Ontario and Alberta get pretty Americanized once you get uh, thinking about that line in Canada. Um, and then ended up in a roundabout way in North Carolina for, for vet school. So that brought a little bit of the y'all out in my accent. So sometimes I say, sorry, y'all, which is a bit of an oxymoron there. A little conflicted. A little conflicted. Um, after that, I came actually to Rudin Riddle for my internship, which obviously you guys both know, um, and spent a year here of having a great time and being very busy. Um, ended up at the University of Georgia and became a dogs fan, which is always exciting. There's nothing like dogs football on a Saturday, just not this year. Um, they're doing terribly. Um, and then uh, finished my residency there, was fortunate enough to stay on there for a year, dealing with a lot of small ruminants in addition to horses. So became really good at taking care of goats and alpacas and all of those things. And um, lucky enough to, to be invited back here to join the internal medicine team after that. So that is my roundabout way of how I ended up in Kentucky. Well, that's a pretty interesting story, eh? Eh, indeed. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do now is I'm actually going to give you a pop quiz. Oh, no. Okay, so I want you to look at this picture, which I'm showing, and for those that are listening, I'm going to actually describe it as the meeting of Donald and Melania Trump with your Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Poor guy. So here comes the question. Mm. Do you think Melania fancies Justin? I think it's pretty hard to deny that body language. I mean, how could you not? He's a pretty attractive man <laughs> with some pretty attractive policies. I mean, what can you say? Yeah, I'd say yes. And probably 97% of women would agree with you. Mm -hmm. The other 3% are legally blind. <laughs> okay, so we'll give you partial credit on oh, that one. Oh, good. So, so, so I, I want you to fill in the gaps just a little bit on okay. your history. What, what, what led you to veterinary medicine? You know, what, did you, do you have an animal background? Absolutely. So I, um, my grandparents both grew up on a farm. Um, they grew up when, with beef cattle and um, did a lot of 4-H kind of stuff over the summers with them in, in the beef cattle world. I always had the one lonely red Angus in a class of black Angus calves and it never won because it looked so ratty and horrible. Um, but I also got into horses and there's this lovely barn um, downtown Halifax, Nova Scotia, which probably doesn't sound very exciting, but literally we had a uh, stoplight to cross the street with when we rode our horses in the outside ring and I fell in love um, driving by these horses. So started taking riding lessons there when I was about five um, and have been doing that ever since. Girl fell in love with horse, horses. I know, you can't. You can't. I fell in love with this little paint pony named Pandemonium and the rest is history. <laughs> That's um, a very complete story. Thank you. Okay, so we're here today to actually talk to people about uh, neonatal foals and uh, what happens on the farm with neonatal foals. And so you have a client, they have a foal, they're calling you because they're a little bit concerned and you're driving off out there and you're going to get there and what conversations are you going to have with that client about what's been going on with that foal and 
What are the things you're going to look for now that make you think things are, are not going correctly? I think that's a really important topic. It's one of my favorites. Um, as internal medicine people, we love taking care of um, baby foals. That's a lot of why we do what we do. Um, and I, I think the exciting part about it, too, and the nerve-wracking part is these people have been waiting 320, 360 days for this foal to drop on the ground, and they're really nervous and worried about what's going to go on. And um, being able to anticipate some of these problems and knowing what we're looking for is a huge way of making sure we have a successful foal to raise. Um, and that's really what all of their energies have been put into for you know the past year plus. Um, so the the biggest things kind of on the way out to the farm, you get that call is getting a bit of the history of what's gone on. So um, Lots of factors um, kind of go into what history questions we need, um, but certainly we need to know, you know, when, how old is this foal in terms of gestation? So has the mare had a normal pregnancy? Um, is the foal early? Is the foal maybe later than they expected? Do they know when the mare was bred and how long the foal has been in their cooking? Um, did the mare have any problems? So certainly, um, you know, a lot of factors can affect our foals, but maternal factors are a big one. So did the mare have any illnesses, um, you know, during her pregnancy? Has there been any evidence that the, the mare was sick or had any abnormalities during that pregnancy? And that can really help prepare us as we're going out of what we may be, you know, coming across once we get to the farm. I think that's a really important point you raise is because, you know, the production of that foal, it's continuum from the time of conception till the f time the foal's delivered. And I don't think a lot of people consider the mare in the equation and they think that they're just going to have this foal and everything's going to be fine. And they just don't look at the mare and sort of see the problems that potentially could have come about. Um, could you expand a little bit about on things in the mare's history that would really get your attention uh, for problems with that newborn foal? Absolutely. So there are a number of things that we have to consider about that mare. So big thing that may be the most obvious question to ask the owner is, has the mare had any serious illnesses? So, um, you know, has the mare had diarrhea during the pregnancy? Has she had big fevers? Was she sick or hospitalized? Um, you know, anytime a mare experiences severe illness, you can, you know, potentially especially depending on where that was in gestation, um, you know, that can easily affect the foal. Um, other things we consider, especially obviously last season here in Kentucky, is, is placentitis. Has the mare been treated for, you know, basically infection, inflammation of the placenta? And that can certainly, um, you know, affect the foal's gestation um, and whether or not that foal is sort of ready to be born and if it's going to have any issues. Um, signs of placentitis in the mare can can vary, obviously, but um, big things that we're looking for is the mare, you know, does her udder, um, you know, get enlarged earlier than we think it should? Is she dripping milk earlier? Um, has she had any vaginal discharge? That one's not always commonly seen. Um, but those are big things to know, you know, has your mare been treated for a, a gestational problem prior to arrival? Um, Another big thing with the mayor is, is understanding whether or not she's had appropriate vaccinations um, during her pregnancy. We know that that's a big factor for foals and how they acquire their immunity when they're first born. So making sure she's up to date on vaccines. Has she been exposed to any other horses that are having issues? Um, kind of things like that just to be aware of. If you get there in time and the foal's actually still being delivered, what are you looking for then? During delivery? During delivery, yeah. What would cue into the fact that, you know, I'm not so sure this foal's going to get out of the gate quickly? So there are, you know, there are a number of issues from you know, beginning of labor through to the end of labor. Um, you know, usually we're not around for the, the first stage of labor. So when they're just getting crampy, that can last days to hours. Um, but once that water breaks and you start in stage two of labor, really that foal should be out in, you know, 20 to 40 minutes at most. Um, and so if you're being called out early um, and make it there in time, there are a couple of things. So um, red bag deliveries are a big one. So if there's basically premature early separation of the placental membranes. Um, and it kind of presents as what we call a quote unquote red bag delivery where, um, you know, the, the foal isn't presenting normally. Instead, you see sort of the, the area of the placenta that we, we shouldn't normally see. Um, and in that stage, it's a pretty precarious situation where the foal could be um, you know, in distress, not getting enough oxygen and predisposed to a lot of problems. Um, you know, 
uh, neonatal encephalopathy, demi full syndrome, um, you know, whatever name you kind of want to give it, um, that's definitely at, at increased risk of happening with a red bag delivery. Um, other big things is uh, fetal stress, so stress of the foal um, in utero. And a big sign of that is has the foal started to pass meconium in utero? So are you delivering a foal that is sort of stained with that first um, fecal output or, or meconium? Is he orange colored? Um, you know, it, it, does he have any of that debris on him? Does that fluid look normal? Because that certainly can predispose um, not only to things like terrible pneumonia, but again, um, you know, dummy full syndrome, just infection in general, bacterial sepsis are a huge risk. Okay. So you've got there and the foal's just been delivered. What do you want to see that foal do once it's out of the mare and what's sort of the time frame you're looking for to sort of say, hey, this guy's going to be okay or you know what, I think we're going to be watching this one for the last few days. So, you know, you're looking at the clock. What are your important times to you? What are the important behavioral things that you want to see that neonate do? And I, I think that's a big one, especially, you know, certainly um, a lot of our firms that deliver a lot of foals are very aware of this, but um, owners definitely need to be aware of these certain time points that we have. And the first thing I say a foal needs to do is come out and be cute. So um, if, if they look adorable and everything's in the right place, that's step one. So what you're telling me is this foal needs to be doing its best Justin Trudeau impersonation Absolutely. immediately after delivery. Absolutely. Okay. Right away. It needs to be fully adorable or, you know, just put it back in. Okay. No, um, you know, just make sure that, you know, a big thing is taking a look at the foal right away. And you don't want to go in and um, get in the way of that mare and foal, um, you know, bonding and, and get hands on that foal too aggressively. Um, but does the foal have any obvious issues? So are we looking at, you know, severely contracted limbs, angular limb deformities, any other abnormalities? I think that's a big kind of first visual check. Um, the foal should be able to kind of sit itself up in sternal or right itself within the first couple of minutes. So they're really incredibly precocious animals and that they are ready to get up and go faster than many other species, um, you know, that, that we deal with. Um, obviously we don't deal with many others here, but many other neonatal species, um, that aren't ready to go right away. So they should be, um, you know, sitting up, able to be sternal, in the first, you know, several minutes. Um, suckle reflex usually starts at about, you know, 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes. And then the big thing is that foal ideally should be standing on its own in about an hour. So that's our first big time point. So it's part of the one, two, three rule. Um, so one hour your foal should be standing. Um, by at least two hours of age, that foal needs to be nursing. Um, and that is super important in terms of, again, how that foal acquires immunity. So needs to nurse well from the mare, um, ideally within that two-hour window. If your foal isn't able to stand and nurse and nurse well in that time point, that's kind of a marker where you should be thinking, you know, maybe we need some assistance. Maybe this isn't going to be a normal foal. Um, um, and then there's the three-hour time point, um, which uh, kind of marks a couple of things. But big thing is the mayor should absolutely have passed her placenta by the three-hour time point. Um, you know, it, ideally, usually it comes out much faster than that. Uh, you know, usually around an hour it's passed, but at three hours, we certainly consider that a retained placenta. Um, and the mare can get into to big problems um, with a retained placenta. Um, and then three hours to the foal should have passed good meconium. Um, so that should, should happen as well. And later on, you're looking for things like adequate urination. But the big thing, I think, in terms of the foal's health is that two-hour time point of nursing and nursing well. So what are the things that get in the way of that other than the foal not nursing, though? In terms of the full getting... Getting immunity. Getting immunity. So there's, you know, there's a number of things. One, we've already talked, or I already mentioned a little bit placentitis. Um, so dripping milk prematurely is a big thing. And that first milk or that colostrum is really what gets the foals their immunity. So it's chock full of, um, of all of the antibodies that a foal needs. Unlike in humans, where we do pass some antibodies through the placenta, foals depend entirely on that colostrum for immunity. So when they're born, we call them immunocompetent basically meaning they can form an immune response to bacteria or viruses or whatever they're presented with, um, but they're immunonaive. So they haven't been um, exposed to any antibodies. They don't have anything to protect them. They have to make it all on their own at that point. Or 
get it from mom's colostrum. Um, and so the, the big thing is that mare needs to have good quality colostrum. If we've been dripping milk for a number of weeks, odds of that colostrum still having antibodies and still being high quality is pretty low. Um, and certainly you can um, you know, measure the colostrum with a, a special tool called a Brex refractometer, not super important, but um, that can help us tell whether or not the quality of that colostrum is good. Um, the mare also has to let the full nurse. So that's another big thing. Um, appropriate bonding is, is really important to let that full nurse. And, um, you know, the mare could outright reject the foal. Luckily, not super common, but absolutely could happen. Um, a lot of mare, maiden mares or mares that have issues with discomfort with, with the full nursing could absolutely chase that foal away and not allow it to nurse properly. Um, so those are all other big things to to think about as well. I think that's a really good point that you raise about keeping watch, but keeping out of the way. Yep. Because the temptation is, is to just get your hands there on that foal and get the foal used to it. pull the foal away from the back of the mare to the front of the mare and just generally interfere. Um, foals born, it's attached to the mare by the umbilical cord. What's your take on how that should be handled? You know, should you break the cord? Should you let the cord break itself? Are you a fan of clamping the cord? What what does Kate like to do? Ooh, everyone's going to answer that differently, potentially. I guess I'm a big fan if everything is going well, we're looking at a normal foaling, the mare is doing well, she's not, you know, there are certainly situations where she's just fold and she's rolling all over the place and there's a, a danger that the foal could be injured. Um, and that's a big thing we don't want. But if she's laying there quietly, foal is still attach the umbilical cord, everything's going well. My preference is for her to stand up and have it break naturally. That's the best way to make sure that foal is getting all of that good cord blood as long as we can, um, that the umbilical stump breaks in the appropriate place um, and is going to heal up and, and close appropriately. So that that's my ideal world is the mare just lovingly stands up. And it breaks. Yeah, don't be um, ashamed of that opinion because I agree totally. I oh, mean, good. Mother Nature's been doing this <laughs> a whole lot longer than we have. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, if everything's going okay, don't do anything to interfere that normal. I'm having a rest after I've had my foal. I stand up, cord goes snap, foal stands up, everything's good. When do you clamp it? I mean, I, I guess there, to me, there are a couple of times that you would. So certainly for um, dystocias or difficult births that we see in hospital where, you know, the mayor either has to be placed under anesthesia to help get the foal out, the foal's a C-section. Um, those, there's not a, a natural way to kind of help break those and get the foal out quickly and safely. Um, so in those cases, we are, you know, we milk as much of the cord blood in as you can, but you want to get that foal out quickly because um, that foal could easily be in distress and have issues. Um, so that is a situation where we do end up clamping it. Um, certainly if, again, if the mare is in distress or it breaks and there's a lot of hemorrhage um, from that cord is when you consider going in and clamping it. Um, ideally, it's kind of clotted off and they stand up and there's no bleeding, but um, you know, there, there's certainly times where you might need to clamp it. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. If everything's going normally and there's no interference and, you know, it's it's a, a mare that's actually tolerant of the foal being there, just leave it alone. But you're right. I mean, a mare's going to get up, run away, snap it off early, or you quite absolutely um, bring the point out that if there's anything wrong with the delivery of that foal and we think it's compromised, like you're talking about red bags, yep. you've absolutely got to get that foal out of there and get working on it. It just won't have the time to naturally um, calm down. So you're called at this foal and it actually seems to have done everything okay initially. Um, what are your thoughts on umbilical care that can be done on the farm by the owners and the managers? And what should they be looking for over the first four to five days? I mean, the initial period, everything may look like it's going okay. And then sometimes at that two to three day mark, things start to take a little bit of turn for the worse. You know, what things are going through your mind as a veterinarian? And what's the things that people should observe what would you want to know when you're actually driving out there to have a look at this foal? What are the important things of the history and how should we apply first aid in that situation? And, you know, the, the toughest things about these little guys is, is you're absolutely right. They could look perfect, gorgeous, everyone's excited. We've posted it on Facebook. There's a beautiful foal. We're all happy for the first 24, 48 hours. And then things can really take a turn, absolutely. And um, just like with any other neonatal species, they're at risk 
for getting sick quickly um, and, and getting into a dangerous spot, maybe more so than our, our adult horses. Um, so there are a number of things we have to keep an eye out for um, and a number of problems that, that can present in the neonate. So um, I guess some of the, the biggest things that I consider as problems in that early neonatal period are, um, and we alluded to it a little bit already, but neonatal encephalopathy, dummy full syndrome, whatever you kind of want to call it, um, is classically what we think of as the fold does well for the first 24 plus hours and then kind of backs off of nursing, isn't nursing as well, maybe is searching for the udder but not finding the udder appropriately, um, maybe going through episodes where it's lethargic and uh, difficult to rouse but other moments it kind of looks okay, starts nursing on the walls. Um, these are all things that can show up um, in that delayed period, so that delayed 24-48 hour period. Um, and and big, you know, a dummy foal or again, a neonatal encephalopathy foal can certainly come from a normal pregnancy, normal delivery, delivery, everything else goes fine. And we can't explain hundred percent why it's happening, but there are some things that clue us in that maybe we're at a bigger risk for that. Um, so those red bag deliveries, again, we've mentioned a couple times, um, premature births. So foals that are born early, um, and, something else we call dismature foals, or um, they just don't look at the appropriate maturity for for the day that they're delivered. Um, those are kind of the, the bigger factors of, of, of potential increased risk um, for those foals. So that's a big one to keep an eye out. Um, we've chatted a little bit about colostrum, how important that is for immunity. Um, but one of the biggest reasons is to protect that foal from a naturally pretty you know, dirtier environment than some other animals live in. Um, a, a big thing to avoid is obviously foaling out foals in dirty environments. Environmental factors are huge for keeping them healthy. So nice, clean, dry barn is important. But if they don't have those proper uh, antibodies from the mare, um, they're at risk for a number of bacteria that are just living in the environment. So really getting out there, you know, you should have your foal evaluated first 12 to 24 hours. And a big part of that is doing a little blood work to make sure that they have appropriate what we call um, passive transfer of immunity. Um, so if, if they don't get enough of those antibodies from mom for whatever reason, there's certainly an increased risk of, of developing neonatal sepsis, um, which is basically a, a fancy word to say they, they develop usually a, a severe bacterial infection that can affect multiple organs. So um, knowing sort of the, the immunity status of your foal is super important. Um, and those foals, you know, they can have a number of problems, pneumonia, um, Umbilical infections is a huge way they can um, develop um, bacterial sepsis, um, but certainly clinical signs we're seeing are they're backing off of nursing, they could have a fever, they could have a low temperature. Um, you know, a number of things is, uh, you know, pretty consistent with that particular problem. So that's a big one. You mentioned doing some blood work to find out the level of antibodies. If you're going to do more comprehensive blood work, what clues would you be looking for that would tell you that maybe I'm going to have trouble with this foal at that sort of 24-hour mark. So there's obviously we can look at it a number of things, but um, you know big things we think about are white blood cell count. Um, so do we look at their white blood cell count and it's either really really low or inappropriately high for for that foal? Um, you can look at markers of of inflammation. Fibrinogen is probably my favorite. That's a big word just to say, has that foal um, been exposed to a lot of inflammation? So maybe there's a clue that the foal potentially was exposed to a problem in utero. Um, you know, this is a brand new foal and the white cell count is really, really high, indicating potential infection. It shouldn't have that problem this early in life. Um, other things we want to look at are markers of kidney function. That can be a sign in these foals as well. Um, the placenta's job is to to act like a big kidney while the foal is in utero, but um, you know that foal should come around and start having adequate kidney function um, and and have normal kidney blood work. You know, hopefully by the twenty four hour time point. So those are some more things we can look for. You mentioned white blood cell count. Are you more worried about a low white blood cell count? Or one that's a little bit elevated? Low. Always worried about low ones more. Why are you worried about a low count? I really like white cells. Um, they, they have a lot of good properties. And the white blood cells are really what protects the body from infection. So they are one of our front lines of attacking bacteria and, and trying to help 
basically help the rest of the immune system um, protect that foal. And so when the white blood cell is really low, um, not only do we know, you know, there's a problem somewhere, these cells are being used basically used up or getting stuck places, um, but the rest of the foal is open to infection. So the risk of um, developing those secondary problems like pneumonia, joint infections, bone infections, that's all higher in a foal that has a low white count. On the blood work, we're not just looking at white cells, we'll also be looking at red cells as well. So tell me about what red cells mean in a foal and if those were low or what would that mean to you? So that's another big problem that, that we're going to be watching out for in the newborn foal. So, um, th- uh, the, you know, the, the big problem, the big name for it is called neonatal isoerythrolysis. But basically what happens is those antibodies we've absorbed from the mare start attacking the foal's red blood cells. Um, and this is typically when they don't have a compatible blood type, which absolutely can happen, um, especially in broodmares that have had a number of foals. Um, and then sort of what happens is those antibodies that are trying to help the rest of the foal start attacking the red blood cells and basically breaking them or targeting them for destruction. Um, so then all of a sudden you have very low red blood cells. And we know the red blood cell is a number of functions, but the biggest thing is delivering oxygen throughout the body. So it has a very important role. Um, those foals will become lethargic. And the big thing that sometimes we'll notice is that they will turn yellow, basically, from the breakdown products of those red blood cells. So those antibodies are destroying the red blood cells or targeting them for destruction. Um, and they're releasing sort of this yellow pigment into the body. And those foals will get really yellow gums, really yellow eyes, the sclera, the white part around their eyes will turn yellow. Um, and those are big things to, to watch out for. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing with foals that experience this problem often need very critical care, um, frequently require um, a well-matched blood transfusion, which can be hard to accomplish depending on where you are. Um, And then that mare in the future has a risk of of having this issue again with the next foal. Um, So the, the big thing is, is making sure the next season we follow the appropriate steps. That's a pretty significant problem. Um, How can your clients actually get ahead of that? I mean, what things can they do to anticipate this problem? And should this pregnancy show signs that there's going to be an issue, how can you manage that foal in the first few days to actually get past this period? So luckily... You know, when it happens, it's a it's a big problem, and the foal again needs really critical care. But luckily, it's a problem we can avoid if we know it's coming. Um, so again, um, you know, the the big way the foal gets these antibodies that then go on to potentially harm the red blood cells is through nursing that colostrum. Um, and so, if you've had a mare that's had a foal with this problem in the past, um, you know, sometimes just a blanket say the foal is not going to get colostrum from this mare. So prevent the foal from nursing off the mare. So usually either place a muzzle um, before the foal is able to nurse to still allow them to bond, um, but provide it with an alternative source of antibodies that's not coming from that mare. Um, And eventually, um, as you're milking out this mare, getting rid of that antibody-rich colostrum, the foal's GI tract kind of closes and we're no longer able to absorb those antibodies. Um, You know, usually within the, the first 24, 48 hours, we can let that foal start nursing again without complication because they're not going to be absorbing those antibodies, um, you know, that, that are going to harm the red cells. Um, a way of kind of knowing this prior to that foal being born is you can also test the mare's um, blood to see if she has any specific antibodies against um, uh, red cells. And certainly we do that as a screening tool on a lot of the, the farms um, to, to make sure that we can anticipate this problem before it happens. So, so I've never actually treated a jaundice foal. Never? In, in, never. Really? Mm-hmm. No, because we screen because, so much. Because we do that. Every, yeah. every, every mare in my practice. Yep. Yeah. So, so is that common outside of outside of Lexington? Do most people do that or or not? I would say zero percent of cases I saw in Georgia did it. <laughs> if that gives yeah. you an example, not that we have a huge breeding place, um, but I, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm certain in in big breeding areas, it's very common to do. But um, you know, I don't know how often people are screening for NI. But there's breed factors too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, thoroughbreds. Yeah. Thoroughbreds are yeah, being being so much worse. But I, th- I put this in the category of mother was always right, and an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Absolutely. Yeah, because we're we're so, I don't know what our actual percentages are, but it's three or four percent, right? Or positive? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually quite high, but it's high enough that yeah, it's, it's a big enough problem. Yeah, and we have the occasional foal that turns up, but you sure. know, they they haven't been screened. So you've really impressed upon people listening how important it is for these foals to get adequate antibodies. Yeah, I said that like eight times. Yeah, I think. yeah, I hadn't picked up on that. <laughs> and so um, there's specific di- diseases that you may want to protect this foal from absolutely in the early period of life. And, um, you know, these antibodies sound like they're very important. So what's, what's another way we can actually get these antibodies into these foals early on? Their antibodies are great. Have we talked about that yet? Yeah, I think you might have mentioned okay, it good. once or Just twice. making sure. I mean, other than those poor foals that have NI. Um, so there's a number of ways. So I, I, ch- I talked about really briefly um, about the GI tract closing. Um, but a big thing is that foal, the way it absorbs those antibodies from the milk is across the GI tract. Basically, those antibodies get across those cells into the bloodstream and we're good to go. Um, the foal's GI tract is only open for a small period of time. So this is why we think, say it's so important for that foal to nurse and nurse well with good quality colostrum within two hours. Um, you know, By the time you're hitting six, eight, 12 hours of life, they're not going to be absorbing as well. Um, certainly if you're in that very early period and you have a weak foal who can't nurse um, and you're in that early several hours of age time point, um, having your veterinarian come out and pass a nasogastric tube um, and give them high quality colostrum is something that you can you can do within that small time window. Now, if we're looking at a foal who's 24 or even you know, 12, 24 hours of age, we've missed that time point. So giving colostrum orally, you know, basically through the tube is not going to help that foal uh, acquire enough antibodies because of that factor. Um, so intravenous plasma is the biggest way that we have to help them. So that is concentrated, glorious, beautiful, shiny, yellow, magical, expensive, um, basically hyper-concentrated antibodies. So from donor horses um, that has a, a really compact amount of antibodies in it. And there's a number of different plasmas that can be tailored to specific problems that, that we might have on certain farms. So um, diseases that come to mind are rotococcus, clostridium. Um, you can have basically hyperimmune plasma to a number of those different diseases that, that can help on s- specific farms if you've got issues. So that's probably the biggest way. And, um, you know, with certain diseases that are endemic in certain areas and with certain foals, it may just be standard, um, you know, to give intravenous plasma early on um, just to make sure that they are covered. Okay, you've mentioned about um, you know problems with the foal being delivered and potentially affecting its its mentation. You've uh, mentioned about uh, problems with white cells and red cells. Any other things in that initial period where you would be concerned? You touched on some orthopedic issues earlier with foals with um, leg deformities. Any other orthopedic issues potentially that could arise in a newborn foal? Certainly, there are a number of them, and um, you know, especially our premature foals are very prone to having very lax tendons or loose tendons. So oftentimes, their you know toes will flip up in the air. They're kind of be walking on their fetlocks. You know, that can often improve just with time um, and exercise and strengthening. Um, contracted limbs can be a bit more of a problem. So if they're bent or stuck in a certain position, um, you know, stretching those back out can be very difficult, and also presents an increased risk for that foal getting in trouble while being born, um, you know, risk of dystocia is going to be higher in those foals that don't have perfectly shaped legs. So I think those are the, the you know, kind of biggest two. Certainly angular limb deformities, um, um, you know, where the horse's leg kind of splays out or bows in a little bit, a lot of those will correct with time. And it's kind of unfair to judge the newborn foal if they're not too extreme, um, you know, on, on how wobbly they, they look. Yeah. Um, they'll kind of improve over time. Yeah, it always amazes me how large a foal a mare can actually deliver. Yeah. <laughs> But um, talk to me about rib fractures. Oh, the bane of my existence. Um, rib fractures are, are definitely something that we can see. And a lot of it comes from, again, how big these foals are and how their tight area they've got to be squeezed out of to be delivered. Um, we do see probably an increased number in dystocias that have to be sort of manually assisted. Um, but rib fractures can be either 
a non-issue or a huge problem, I guess is how I'd categorize them, depending on where they're located, how many they are, um, you know, kind of what the full, the rest of the full looks like, I guess. What do you think you would see in a situation where the, there's, this fold does have rib fractures? You know, it seems to be that even, you know, you mentioned with the stoches, but there's plenty of foals born that just... Have them. The, yeah, they have them, yeah. And nobody's intervened. The The foaling looked to be going perfectly normally. Yep. The foal had all of its landmarks initially. What's going to be an indication that there may be a bit of a problem? So a lot of it is that first initial foal exam. So um, part of our initial foal exam is really feeling or palpating all of those ribs to make sure they all feel like they're in, in the right spot. And not all of these fractures can be easily felt the first day. Um, you know, it may be that, you know, the second day there's there's more of a little what we call a click. Or basically you, you run your hand down the rib and you can feel part of it having that fracture line. Um, in more extreme cases where you have multiple fractured ribs, you might even get an area of the chest that's completely depressed. Um, so sort of mouth looks misshapen. Um, and, and in those holes, you know, usually we have a more significant number of, of fractured ribs. And I, and honestly, I think some of them we find later when you can feel a callus over the yeah. rib and you're like, yeah. oh, I didn't know that was there yeah. and they're fine and they're happy bouncy and you go to feel them and they're, you know, multiple weeks of age and there's a big old bump where one of their rib fractures was. Yeah. And but, if, but I think if those are stable enough that you absolutely. miss it on your exam, they're, they're, they're just fine to go out. But, but I think what you illustrated is it's, it's, it's hard to, to pick up and know, and I, th I think this is one of the importances of having a veterinarian examine that 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 foal in the first before certainly before it goes out of the stall. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, and I think you're right, and you know that that timing you're talking about that first 24 hours is good you can pull your blood you can get your hands on the yep. foal you can just establish the baseline for how that foal's going and if there's any deviations from that a little bit later you can say hey you know at day one this foal yeah, was doing this up. and down the line this foal is not doing things you get your blood work was i challenged in utero yep. am i challenged already um, i mean all of those things really do hinge on on that first examination and you know to take your point on the rib fractures but i mean i think they're non-displaced or they're green stick there are any partial fractures and they're stable, they're not a problem. And then you run your hands down the foal's chest, it may just move a little bit and that, that hurt me. And it just causes you to have a closer look. And yeah. to Bart's point, yeah, just look at them before they come out of the stall. No, but Kate's right. I, I can't tell you the number that I've done insurance exams or whatever at 30 days and you, you palpate them and there's you know, a couple... Yeah, big, big old bumps. Are, yeah, and there's absolutely no way of detecting those, no. but um, you just can't see them in sort of uh, the, the imaging uh, that you'd use in a field situation or just by your physical exam. So, so there's a couple of things that, well, just if I could back up just a little yeah. bit, there's a couple yeah. of times that you want to balance exercise from stall rest and these immature, dismature falls. Sure. Can, can we talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So we touched a little bit on, um, you know, it with, with the joint laxity or those loose legs, you know, we want to get them as much exercise as possible, but those premature foals are also at risk of another problem. And that big problem is that the, the bones of, you know, their hocks and their knees kind of calcify or, or become bones, um, later than a lot of the other structures of the body. So we can have immature ossification, which is just a fancy way of saying they haven't gone from cartilage to full bone. And at that point, if they're not formed properly, um, they're at risk of developing issues with those bones. So if they're getting too much exercise, those bones could not form properly. Um, they could develop what we call crush injuries, basically wedging or m malformation of those bones because of, of too much exercise when they're newly forming um, and, and have significant issues with lameness in the future with arthritis with performance potentially so um, any ex, you know premature foal that we have sick foal that we have a lot of the time we'll take x-rays of those um, those specific joints right off the bat especially you know in hospital we're seeing really early foals really sick foals and they're at increased risk of this problem and um, what we do know is certain levels of ossification can affect their performance long time so if these foals are born you know, they need to be athletes, but they don't have any of those bones formed at all. It may not be a best outcome for full and owner going forward. Yeah, this really hammers home the point that you really need to know the mare, know her normal length of gestation or what she's done previously, because that's going to give you a really good indication of whether that foal's ready for delivery. And so that's something I always want to know is, you know, don't tell me when she was supposed to have the fall. Yep. Tell me her last breeding date. 
Because that to me means so much. And then I can quickly count forward and say, okay, if she usually goes 335 days, this fold is appropriate for her. If she usually goes 360 days and it's 325, we know we're in a whole lot of trouble. So once we've got past that initial period and this foal is sort of 7 to 14 days of age, what sorts of things should people be looking for at that time? This foal by now will have got over these issues that you've talked about or they haven't been a factor, be well associated with the mare. Um, it'll be producing high volumes of milk feces, high Always. volumes of urine because it's drinking so much milk. Yep. What, what's going through your mind in about you know, 7 to 14 days and someone says, hey, you know, Doc, that foal's got some diarrhea. Should I be worried? That, that's when the cute's worn off, by the way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's when they, yeah. they get a little dangerous and less Yeah, cute. they've been kicked a couple <laughs> of times. So, you know, they've, yeah, it's not good. So once they, they go from the, their little feet. They sharpen their little feet, yeah. So they've gone from the cute to the semi-dangerous time. But now I have diarrhea. So what do you tell your client then? What are you looking for? Uh, what makes you worried? What makes you say, hey, this is just part of growing up? So there are a couple of things that can cause diarrhea in our new foals. And I think the biggest one is, you know, full heat diarrhea is a common one that we think of and probably everyone's heard of. Just that foal adjusting its the flora that are within the GI tract um, as it's, you know, eating mom's poop doing all those other fun things that foals like to do, really establishing the healthy bacteria in their gut. Um, and they certainly go through a period of having some diarrhea at that time. Um, I think the big thing with those foals to note is, although they may have diarrhea, they are bright, they are nursing well, they don't have fevers, they otherwise look like very robust, happy foals. If you were compelled for some reason to grab it, chase it down, pin it down, and take some blood from the very healthy, bouncy foal, that foal should have normal-looking blood work. So, um, you know, shouldn't have any evidence of dehydration. Our lovely white blood cells that we like talking about should be normal. Everything look, should look good in that foal. So those are big, that's a big thing to consider and probably the most common one that we'll see. Um, but there is another subset, of course, that could have developed an infectious cause of diarrhea. And the big thing about those foals that are that age group um, is that they are very much so still at increased risk of getting very sick from what may otherwise be, um, you know, a self-limiting problem in another horse. So those are the foals that, again, are going to have blood work that looks abnormal. They're going to be sick. They're going to back off of the nursing. Um, they may have a fever. They may have a low temperature. All of those things kind of clue us in that this foal could actually be very sick. Um, and unlike our adult horses that develop diarrhea, these foals are actually at risk of developing sepsis again. So bacteria can leak across the GI tract, get into the bloodstream, and wreak havoc on the rest of the body. So again, the lungs, it can seed in a joint and cause a joint infection, a bone infection. They're still at, at risk for that. So a sick foal with diarrhea is very different from an adult horse with diarrhea. How are you going to manage that sick foal with diarrhea on the farm? What things are you going to um, talk to your client about? What things can you do and what things are beyond what can be done on a farm and would say, hey, it's time to refer it? It can be tough to manage these little guys. I think the, the biggest thing that we get behind on are their fluids. So they can pass a large amount of diarrhea and get pretty behind on fluids. And sometimes in these foals, nursing actually makes the diarrhea worse. So nursing is where they get all of their fluid and mare's milk has a lot of water content in it. So they get a, all of their hydration basically from nursing. Um, and in, in lots of cases, getting that milk down there, trying to digest it unsuccessfully is going to make your diarrhea worse. So in those folds, sometimes we need to back them off of nursing, prevent them from nursing. But if you're doing that, you really have to have them on fluids. Um, and depending on how sick that foal is, that certainly is accomplished across Kentucky on the farm um, with intravenous fluids, intravenous catheters um, managed very closely. Um, but it can be really challenging if that foal isn't responding well on the farm. So if it's not perking right back up, it's not looking brighter, the diarrhea is not resolving in your 48 hours, or if it's just getting sicker. So if it's getting really behind on fluids, if it's recumbent for long periods of time, um, if it's showing other problems um, in other body systems, that's when you really need to say it needs to be somewhere on continuous fluids that have some 
basically energy or nutrition in those fluids um, because the other thing we're missing out by holding them off of nursing or if they're not wanting to nurse on their own are all of those nutrients that foals really need to grow. Um, so they have really high um, energy demands when they're little and growing. Um, and unlike adult horses that can be off of feed for a number of days and be fine, that foal off of the mare is in a very precarious position um, and, and needs some assistance getting nutrients. I think you raise a really good point there, and I don't think people really appreciate how little body stores they actually have. I mean, they're born with about 30 minutes worth of glycogen mm -hmm. for energy. So, you know, your point you made before about getting up and getting on that mare is so important because there is no gas in the tank. And they have to grow so fast that any period where they don't get nutrition they're just going to fall apart and they lose weight so quickly. And I always sort of say, you know, if that foal's gaining weight, I know I'm getting ahead. Yep. Regardless what the paperwork says, regardless what I think, if that foal is losing weight, I am losing. Yeah. They melt. They melt. Little things. So coming up to that first 30 days, this mm -hmm. foal's starting to get out and around, it's spending time with the mare, it's starting to get introduced to maybe other mares and foals in the paddock, and we'll sort of cap this at about 30 days. What other things do you think um, are important for your clients to know with those foals on the farm? How do you want to see this foal managed? What are things that it have to look out for as it's going through that first period of its life? So really that first 30 days is our true neonatal period. And that's when they're at increased risk of, you know, are we being exposed to other horses that are sick? You know, managing that herd closely is important. They have those antibodies on board, certainly, um, but they're still working on developing robust immune systems. Um, so really keeping an eye on that. Again, our foals that maybe were compromised early in their life, a joint infection could pop up at any time in that time period. So monitoring them closely for any incidents of lameness, um, swelling in joints is important. And then our other big portal of entry for bad bacteria is going to be your umbilicus. So keeping a really close eye on, um, you know, does that umbilicus feel thick? Do you have any discharge? Is it healing appropriately? So by that, you know, 30 days of age, you should really not, it should be nice and shriveled up and gone. Um, is it still hanging around causing a problem? You know, there could be something else going on there. If you're concerned about the umbilicus and how it looks, what signs would you see in the foal besides what you've described? And how can we actually investigate that? The umbilicus. Um, so it could be, you know, it can get infected at a number of points along that umbilicus. So certainly externally is the most obvious big one. Um, you know, you've got a, a big, ugly umbilicus. It's not healing appropriately. Um, maybe is hot, painful to the touch. There can be, you know, discharge from that area. Um, that's probably the most obvious one. And you kind of know you have a problem. You can visually inspect it and say, well, I need this looked at. Um, the umbilicus, though, goes a number of places. So in the, the fetal circulation or when they're in utero, um, parts of the umbilicus go all the way up to the liver and then all the way back to the bladder. And anywhere along that track, that um, that umbilicus can become infected. So they certainly can have internal abscesses. And the outside of the umbilicus may look completely normal, um, but that foal is maybe has spiking fevers, um, lethargic coming off the nursing a little bit, becomes sick with no other obvious um, you know, points to look at. And I think certainly a foal with a fever of unknown origin, we don't know where it's coming from, a big place to look is that umbilicus. And the way we can do that is by ultrasound. So on ultrasound, you can follow all those structures that were really important in the, the fetal circulation, but become less important, I guess, as true circulation, um, as the foal ages or as the foal's born. Um, and we can follow that again all the way up to the liver, all the way back to the bladder to see uh, have those healed appropriately. Is there any evidence of infection or an abscess along that track? Yeah, I mean, the, the most sort of sobering moment for me is when I have the foal come in, it's like three to four weeks of age. Mm -hmm. The first sign they see is actually a septic joint, joint swollen, yeah. foal's lame. And everybody thinks, oh, the mare stood on the foal, that's the reason, and you just feel really despondent because you know you're going to look for the focus of that infection and you check the umbilicus, check the umbilical arteries, you check the umbilical vein, and you actually find something is actually seated the joint. And so, yeah. you know, I'm with you. You just can't be too careful. you just got to keep an eye on it and make sure that that's not going to come back to bite you because they can look perfectly normal from the outside mm -hmm. and then inside it's just all on. So just sort of 
summarizing, I mean, this has been a huge amount of information, but just summarizing, starting from the late gestational mare all the way through to those first few days of the foal, if you're actually going to write a diary for your client of things to actually look for and things to actually do to increase your chances of success. I mean, obviously, the first one is have a healthy mare. And even when that foals out, they're running around on the paddock. If that mare is sick, she's not producing milk, Mm -hmm. that's the quickest way to get two patients instead of one. But Turning back the clock, what's Kate's diary for actually ensuring success from late gestational mare through to the first few days of the fall? I think that's a big thing. And I think it, it all, again, starts with that mare. So uh, making sure she is appropriately vaccinated. Um, there are many places to find good vaccine schedules. It could depend on you know the farm, the situation. Um, but making sure that that mare is prepared to give her full as high quality of antibodies as possible um, is huge. Um, you know, f- it's different for you know the, our farms around here, but a first-time horse owner who's foaling out a foal, make sure that mare is in a place where you know people have done this before. Um, I think personnel is really important to ensure that foaling goes appropriately. You're not always going to have a, a veterinarian who's an experienced veterinarian sitting there watching the mare waiting for her to foal. Um, so again, a clean, healthy, dry environment with people who know what to watch out for and how to foal out a mare, how to assist if needed, is huge huge um, because certainly you know having your your mare at a place that's far away from any veterinary intervention if that foal gets in trouble um, that that can be a recipe for disaster even if everything else went fine so I think those are big places to start and then we got to go back to our one two three rule of making sure they stand nurse appropriately um, and that the mare passes her placenta because again if that mare gets sick if that mare has issues she's not going to be able to appropriately and healthily raise that foal um, and then your 12 to 24 hour, veterinary check on that foal unless you suspect problems earlier if you are at all concerned i don't think it is ever inappropriate to have a veterinarian come out and evaluate your foal and your mare is another big part of that um if you have any concerns at all so once you get past that one two three hour time point your vet comes out at 12 to 24 hours again does that little bit of blood work evaluates the foal um then the biggest thing to do is make sure that mare and foal are taken care of, are bonding appropriately, um, you know, and, and managing any other problems, you know, that have come along. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. And and also, if you think you're at risk of the neonatal isoerythrolysis, yeah. you know, get that mare bled an appropriate Absolutely. time. It's just a great time to have a conversation with your veterinarian mm-hmm. and how do I set myself up for success? And I'm not calling you on an emergency. So, yeah, yeah, yeah we, we we, we, when we pull those, about 30 days, right? Yeah, and, and usually, I mean, it, some of these mares, you know, that come in here for full watch, you know, you're wanting to make sure you, that you do them. Certainly that status could change, so we usually do them about every couple of weeks if they happen to be long-term stall or full, full watch mares here. Yeah. That's been great. Well, Kate, I think you've set everybody up for success. Hopefully. I only have one more question Uh-oh. for you. What's the best poutine you've ever had? Oh, it come, came, comes out of this little food truck on the side of the road in Ontario with no markings on the outside of the van. So it's a little bit sketchy. Um, but the French fries, amazing. Fried in duck fat, have to be. Um, and then you have your selection of different kinds of gravy. But I think the most essential part of any poutine is the cheese curd. It can't simply be cheese put on top of fries and gravy because those are cheese fries with gravy. It has to be really salty, squeaky, high-quality cheese curd is really the important factor there. Okay, so if our listeners haven't worked it out, Kate's a little bit obsessive when it comes to poutine. Cheese curd is very important. And everything she does. I'm very passionate about cheese. Right. (laughs) And so that's it. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, uh, Dr. Kate Christie, for your wisdom. And we wish everybody happy and healthy falls. Yep, can't wait. They're coming. No problem. Rude and Riddle Veterinary Pharmacy is a full-service veterinary pharmacy located in the heart of the bluegrass, Lexington, Kentucky, the horse capital of the world. We are the official pharmacy of national recognized organizations like the Breeders' Cup, the National Horse Show, and the United States Hunter Jumper Association. As a full-service veterinary-only pharmacy, we offer a multitude of options in care of your patients, giving you and your clients a little peace of mind in certain times.